What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. And freaks, 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 freaks. I think I fixed the audio. Let me know if I did. I'm learning here. Three and a half years into this podcast, I'm learning. I'm growing with you. I'm trying to get better. I strive to be better every day. I've got my Rodecaster Pro here now. I've been tinkering with it for, for about a month. And guess what? I finally got it connected to Adobe Audition. And I'm recording right into Audition right now. I figured out that I had to turn my noise gate off. That's what was messing up the audio uh, in episodes past, recent episodes. Hopefully, this fixes the the live RHR issues that we've been having as well. Bear with me. Uh Probably not going to be fixed. Probably not going to be fixed. Totally fixed, but we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Audio issues. Bane of my existence. Podcasting. Been in it for a while now, and I still am learning. I'm learning. It's like Bitcoin. You're always learning. You're falling down the rabbit hole. There's many rabbit holes you can fall in. you got, you got to have alternative hobbies, too. And podcasting is one of mine. And part of that hobby, part of that podcasting rabbit hole is audio. Figuring it out, freaks. I'm trying to figure it out. Bear with me. Thank you for listening to the crappy audio. Um, episodes as well. Hopefully the content makes up for uh, the, the the lack of audio quality. This is a great episode. I sat down with Nick Hansen from Luxor Tech, Luxor Mining, excuse me. Luxor.tech is their website. You can go check out everything they're doing. Nick is the co-founder and CEO. Talked about a bunch of things. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to screw the pooch and, and, and say everything that we talked about. You guys are about to listen to it. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. You guys already know all about them, all right? Cash App's how you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, sell sets, if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 because sats are the standard. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. If you're new to Bitcoin, if you're new to this podcast, welcome, number one. Number two, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. A lot of people are confused about that. A Bitcoin can be broken down into 100 million units known as Satoshis or Sats. And you can stack whole Sats. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You just buy whole Sats. You can buy thousands of Sats for, for a cuck buck. Actually, excuse me, looking at Clark Moody's dashboard right now, uh, not thousands. You can buy 1,948 Sats with one cuck buck. And a cuck buck is uh, what we refer to as the U.S. dollar, commonly. Changing the narrative, though, it's going to be a cuck buck. Uh, you can stack Sats on the Cash App. Yeah, you can set it and forget it. You can DCA, dollar cost average. That means you, you set a certain amount you want to buy, and you can buy daily, weekly, bi-weekly via the Cash App. Uh, they have the cash, the Bitcoin-backed boost, Sats-backed boost, uh, available every once in a while. So look look out for that if you have your boost card, uh, your cash card, excuse me. Uh, it's accepted anywhere Visa is. You could Cash App could be your bank account. They have account numbers, routing numbers, the whole shebang. Shebang. If you haven't downloaded it yet, make sure you do so using the code stacking sats. It's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. O-W-L. Oh, oh, oh. Not that dirtbag Al. A-L apostrophe S. He's sick in the head. He's sick in the head. Don't listen to anything he says online. He's he's a rampant liar. Okay. This is also brought to you by good friends at Lend at Hoddle Hoddle, and they have their new lending product that is available to U.S. customers. So we have a lot of U.S. listeners. We're global. Majority of our listeners are, are in the U.S., but only like 56%, believe it or not. Uh, we're a pretty global podcast, and if you're outside the U.S., you can 
leverage this service as well, probably even better. Uh, HODL HODL is a new non-custodial Bitcoin-backed lending pro Well, HODL HODL is not new. Their Lend product is new. And it's a Bitcoin-backed lending platform that allows peer-to-peer -peer lending and borrowing between users globally, anonymously, and on their own terms. So if you're short of funds and you don't want to sell your Bitcoins, you, know, you get some liquidity by borrowing using your Bitcoin as collateral. Okay, you put your Bitcoin up, you get some stable coins. And the great thing is that you don't need to entrust someone with your funds. You collateral and your collateral always remains locked in a multi-sig escrow. So you have control of at least one key throughout the whole process. Again, using Bitcoin's native properties to bring these financial lending products to market. It's beautiful. Uh, if you uh, I mentioned stable coins, if you're a stable coin guy or gal, you have some laying around and you're looking to earn uh, some interest on that. Landed Hoddle also offers um, your the ability to to put your to lend your stablecoin out and get some interest on that. So go to lend l e n d dot hodl hodl h o d l h o d l dot com, uh, and you can begin creating offers on your own terms. Uh, again, hodl hodl is one of those companies that we're proud to have a sponsor. They're using Bitcoin's native property properties to build. Bitcoin native products. And this is this is one of them. And again, this is one of the few HODL HODL products that's available to, to US customers because it's non-custodial due to the multi-sig escrow. Beautiful thing to see. Beautiful thing to see. So go check it out. Lend.hodlhodl.com. We got a new sponsor alert. All right. We're, we always have freaks setting us up like, hey, how can I get into mining? How can I get into mining? How do I do this? I want to mine. A couple things you have to think about. You got to make sure you have cheap electricity costs, relatively cheap electricity costs, any access to the actual machines. This is a, a very uh, arduous process if you're doing it as an individual uh, to some extent. And our, our friends at Compass Mining, compassmining.io, they want to democratize Bitcoin's hash rate and give everyone, the individuals that are listening to this podcast, the ability to strengthen the network while mining Bitcoin profitably. So these guys are going out, they're, they're setting up co-location deals they're uh, getting miners from uh from manufacturers and they're giving you the ability to come to compass say hey i want to buy a miner i want to put it at this co-location facility uh and you, they do that for you they put it there and then you get the sats they put together easy bundles for buying and hosting they remove all the complexity from the process again they're handling the the energy cost and the miner acquisition for you so you don't have to get into that arduous process and thanks to Compass, it's never been easier to mine Bitcoin. So go check them out at compassmining.io. That's compassmining.io. C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Woo! Big week here. Big week here. A lot going on. Do you feel the bull? Do you feel the bull run? Are the bears running scared? I think so. Hey, Peter Schiff. What's up, you little bitch? Your son... It's going to flip in you. It's going to be sad. You need to you need to embrace your son and his ideas because they're pretty good ideas. Who else can we hate on here? Michael Berry. Big short guy. You should be on this, bro. You're too worried about the government shutting us down. What are you doing? This is like literally the most asymmetric trade that has ever existed. You're known for making asymmetric trades like you did in the subprime mortgage crisis. And you're just going to pass over Bitcoin. Like, ooh, the central banks and the governments will shut it down. Guess what, buddy? Not going to happen. They can certainly try. But this is a distributed global network. You can, you can cut off uh, a head in one part of the world 
and you're gonna you're gonna see more heads pop up in other parts of the world. Jurisdictional geopolitical arbitrage. Look it up. You need to grow your no, Michael Berry. Cassandra. Cassandra. You think you're smart because you did the big short. Buddy, Bitcoin miners are gonna be the central banks of the future. We're moving the we're destroying the Fed window and the Bitcoin mining layer is replacing it. Get caught up or get left behind. Okay, it's as simple as that. All these all these intellectuals are hey, we can't Bitcoin can't work because we need gauge theory. Gauge theory, like Bitcoin's cool and all, but like it doesn't have gauge. What the fuck is gauge theory? Who can explain gauge theory to me? And like so so like I understand it and don't leave a conversation about gauge theory thinking like what the fuck just happened? Am I getting bamboozled right now? I think so. Bitcoin works. It has worked. It will continue to work. And all these these smart people are saying, I don't know. I didn't make it. I don't approve of it. Guess what? Bitcoin doesn't give a fuck. Enjoy this episode with Nick Hansen. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Cryptid. Your boy Marty Bent here on a lovely Tuesday morning, afternoon now. It's officially afternoon. Sitting down with Nick Hansen, CEO of Luxor Mining. How the hell are we doing today? As we were just mentioning, it's uh, it's a great day. Bitcoin's hovering at 50K, um, and we're all just looking at each other saying, we made it. We're right, and here we are. We're, we're loving it. Um, got a lot of things we can, uh, we can go over today, so uh, let's jump into it. Yeah. Vibes are high around Bitcoin right now. You got Citigroup writing uh, positive things about it, saying it's hit a reflection point. All the institutions are pouring in. Looks like people are starting to focus on the mining industry, which is what we're going to focus on during this conversation today. Yeah, it seems surreal, uh, like uh, apprehensive optimism uh, coming from coming from your boy here. I'm just waiting for something to come around the corner and punch us in the face. <laughs> I mean, we've uh, we're used to it by now, right? Um, Bitcoin has not had has had a uh, has had a historic rise over the last decade, but um, there's definitely been some bumps in between that have you know that have really tested your metal, turns you into a it turns you into a stronger man, it makes you a stronger stronger man, I believe. Yeah, it puts hair on your chest. Both. Certainly, it's uh, um, well. I mean, I think last year was evidence of that. Congrats to you, Luxor just closed around. Um, yeah, certainly. And yeah, I think, so I think that's actually like an interesting touch topic on to, that. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting oh. topic to start on is like the, the raising conditions, uh, in recent months compared to this time last year, what was, what was that process like? And what was the, the whole experience like going through that? Yeah, certainly. I'll, uh, so I'll give you a, like our hit, like our fundraising history. Um, and then talk to you about kind of the recent round and what we're seeing now. I um, also brought some info about like other people raising um, throughout the history of you know Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. We can touch on some of those as well, uh, but I'll just start with just my story. 
Um, so we, we came up with this idea of um, you know, what we call a hash rate liquidation engine, something like, you know, think of you know, Falcon X or Amber Group for, for hash rate, you know, maximizing the value of hash rate. And uh, we started pitching this idea around this time last year, um, maybe even a little earlier. So we went and did you know, a standard fundraising tour where you spend a couple of weeks doing um, you know, pitches to traditional Silicon Valley venture capitalists, um, you know, talking to them about, you know, what hash rate is, getting them up to speed on Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, um, how can, you know, and, and this new emerging asset class, which is hash rate. Um, and at the time it was being really well received, uh, especially uh, given that, you know, Bitcoin had stabilized at that point, you know, we had somewhat found a bottom, you know, at the beginning of 2020. Um, you know, January, February, if you recall, was actually, you know, it's like maybe we're looking a little optimistic, you know, 2020 was going to be a good year, things were looking good. Um, and then, uh, and then things really started, you know, turning pretty quickly. So for us, you know, being in the middle of trying to raise right at that time, it was a time where, you know, we, we were really euphoric, we were really happy, excited, because we get great feedback, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna close this awesome round, let's do it. And then, towards the end of February, early March. I don't know if you recall, that dropped down to below 3,000 early March. That was when things really turned for us. Oh, I remember that. I remember that vividly. Yeah, so that was uh, that was really like a, you want to talk about putting hair on your chest. That was really a time where, you know, our team had just started to come full time. We were, you know, we were generating revenue. We made enough money to, you know, pay everybody's salaries, but we had like bigger ambitions than that. We wanted to go raise enough money to really make a, uh, make a splash. Um, but, but, but then, you know, of course the early March, you know, the, the phone calls started drying up and, you know, every, you know, all the money started drying up. Everybody had no idea what was going to happen. What's going to happen to just to, not just to our little startup, but the world. Right. So it was a really interesting time to be at not only attempting to fundraise, but, you know, just having launched, um, you know, a company with you know, four new full-time members uh, that all quit their jobs. There was, um, there was a lot of stress and, um, and it's not just us that was feeling that stress. I'm certain you were feeling some of that stress as well. Oh Yeah. Yeah, we um, we uh, we felt that stress because we're very tied to the oil and gas industry. And, yeah, uh, just like the price of Bitcoin fell out from under it, so did the price of crude oil. And apparently, when the price of crude oil falls, yeah, you, you, you see, uh, you see people shut in wells that they're producing on. So it was a nice lesson to learn last year. Yeah, shutting wells. I mean, they were literally paying people to take oil from them uh, at a point in time there. Um, it was a weird time that Q, you know, quarter two of, uh, of 2020 is one that will definitely go down in infamy, not just for our little industry, but, you know, industries across the, you know, across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy thinking back like how stressful it was. Like, I, like we yeah. did two rabbit hole recaps a week just to try and keep everybody abreast of what was going on. Yeah. It'll, uh, <clears throat> and like, yeah, I mean, and we're still going to, we don't know the the extent of the externalities that are going to emanate from the the decisions that were made at a at a global macro scale. They're they're still being felt today, and I think the the products of some of the decisions that were made last year are starting to rear their heads, um, which is why I'm thankful that we have Bitcoin and we're building out yeah. this industry. Don't yeah taking a bit of a segue from the fundraising trip, don't even get me started on like the monetary policy and all of the fallout that's going to come from that. Um, is, right now, if we didn't have Bitcoin, like I would feel so helpless. Like, what would you do, right? right? Just knowing that this is coming. Like without Bitcoin, you would just feel like you're lost and you have 
no way to escape this massive tidal wave that is coming your way. I'd probably um, be, I'd probably be uh, in the woods somewhere trying to start a farm. <laughs> yeah, just insulate exactly. myself from everything. So back to the fundraising tour, we, you know, we we really then at that point had to bunker down. So we just internalized all of this, you know, and just went into building. We just were like, okay, we've got. You know, our runway of over a year has now shrunk to like like three months, maybe. You know, we might make it to July, hopefully. Um, let's just put our heads down, build this thing out. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And we'll just go back to, you know, being corporate schleps. Um, at that point, um, you know, we started building a lot of cool new products. We had launched Luxor Switch, which is a profit switching algorithm. Um, you know, we launched a, a few more pools, you know, non-Bitcoin pools, but, you know, other pools. And... Um, and, and it was, a, it was a time when we actually really just hunkered down and built the tech, you know, there's a lot of tech that needed to be built. You know, I was just coding all day, every day. Eddie was coding all day, every day. Ethan was out finding new, uh, you know, new customers. Guzman was analyzing all the data, finding new customers, just really grinding it out. And then, um, you know, things started to turn, you know, there was, there was a couple of bright, bright spots during the, you know, that summer where, you know, we're starting to see like, you know, the prices are starting to normalize economy is, is shut down, but um, it doesn't seem to be affecting the prices of any assets or, or at all, which was very strange. You know, internally we're tra- having a hard time kind of ra- you know, uh, rationalizing all of this, but um, that's okay. Like my business is doing well. So at that time, you know, we were able to re-pivot and start to you know think about like what is you know we've made it. You know, we're, we're not going to die. We've made it. So now let's start thinking about how are we going to expand. And so late July was when we started thinking about okay, let's go do a- another round. Um, we're not going to probably get the valuation that we want. You know, it's still given you know uncertain market conditions. Let's go. Let's put together a smaller round at a lower valuation. We'll give up you know a lower amount of dilution and uh, and go you know raise some money. So we went and we went and initially we were just going to raise 500k at an eight million valuation um, on a safe, and that was fine. So you know over the course of you know August, you know that late late Q3, early Q4. Um, we started gathering a few investors, um, and then we met Arvin Kane. <clears throat> got introduced to Arvin Kane, and he, you know, he j- jumped all in, uh, and he was awesome. Super big fan of Arvin Kane, and um, you know, he was one that started putting together some of the pieces. And you know, once once we had that first big leap of faith from from Arvin in the, um, you know, and the rest of the round really filled out, um, and it, it really happened super quick. And I think it was. You could see on the horizon that you know Bitcoin was going to start to do what it's doing now, because that was you know late you know at that point in time it would have been you know say October. And we're starting to you know we're starting to flirt with you know over 10k, 15k. We're we're heading towards a new all-time high, and then things really started to uh, go crazy there towards the end of December. Hey, you got Square adding it to the balance sheet. Obviously, Sailor starting his speculative yeah. attack on the dollar yeah uh, yeah a bunch of you know, the athletes coming out in support of it and the, the cultural tipping point certainly right. certainly hit last year at some point i believe so that was when yeah that was around the time you had the the pretty epic interview with Mahler's after his um you know his uh time on, on national television basically just telling everybody to flee the dollar it was awesome um you know, he was working uh, with Russ, getting, you know, all, yeah, like you said, there's all this stuff that was just kind of culminating in, you know, in our little, you know, in our little microcosm of, of this small industry really coming together for us at a great point in time, 
which, you know, any great, you know, any great businessman will say that they would just, that they prefer to get a little lucky sometimes. And, you know, maybe we got a little lucky. Um, but I think what, what I drew from that mostly was that we built our own luck. We were able to, and, and you do the same thing, right? You're in a great position now, like your company's doing really well. Um, but you, you had to build your luck and you built that through, um, you know, putting hair on your chest and weathering tough storms and becoming, you know, becoming a better man for it. Yeah. No, it's no, when you're, when you're forced with uh, market conditions or when you're forced into market conditions, like the ones that we all were last year, it really does separate the wheat from the chaff. Like, I believe that's the yeah. saying. I hope that's the saying. But, that uh, is the yeah. saying. Yeah. 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 So we, uh, yeah, just put so your head early, down and building every day is, is what gets you through, right? You just can't focus on the short term. Just keep your eye yeah. on the prize. Yep, certainly. So we built that snowball. Um, the person, the person that really backed us, um, you know, I guess I mentioned Arben as one of our uh, one of our first angels, but the person that really came in and uh, you know he backed us through that whole time uh, was Tom Spichia with Hodel Capital. Um, you know, he he came in as an angel. He was really committed to our idea wanted to see this idea this, you know, at the time we were calling it a hash rate exchange, but now it's become even more than that. We call it a hash rate liquidation engine. Um, and, you know, that was what he really wanted to, you know, he, he was backing us early on, you know, he, he actually put his check in prior to, uh, to March, um, <clears throat> prior to, you know, the big downturn. And so we were able to get, you know, we were able to get him involved right away. And that was, that was, you know, that first sign of somebody really committing to you and understanding, you know, and having some level of conviction in what you're, in what you're trying to bring to the market uh, is definitely, uh, it, it, again, it, it makes you, it, it really gives you a moment of, uh, of clarity, right? Because you now have, you have a backer, you have somebody that's in your, in your corner. Big fan of Thomas. Yeah. Love Thomas. He's a, uh, oh. he's a, under underscored legend in the space just doing a, certainly doing a lot of very cool things in the background yes he is he's one of those types for sure you know he, he's involved in so many things you probably never even you know never even really think of um and yeah he actually you know he he fought you know he followed on into our most recent round um you know he you know he can't 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 speak more highly of uh, of thomas um and, and hodel capital so so that you know, that, that was, you know, that's a mostly our story. So we closed the round, you know, we got, um, you know, we got Celsius, we got Hive, um, we got Argo, we got Arbin, um, uh, we got Leighton Capital, which is Olivier and uh, Wouter, if you know, if you've ever heard of them. Um, so we got all these guys in and they're all strategics. And that was something that was actually really important to us in this round was as we started to see like this was really going to come together, we really wanted to keep it strategic, you know, get everybody that's on the cap table to be in some way related to what we're trying to do. Um, you know, we weren't at that point, we kind of decided to eschew um, you know, like your standard Silicon Valley VC, um, you know, looking for like a consumer app or like, you know, a widget or whatever. We wanted people that really bought into the vision and the idea um, and they weren't just trying to put together, you know, puzzle pieces. Um, they were a part of the puzzle, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I think especially when you're building a business and raising money for that, I think the having the stakeholders aligned at the at the investment level is imperative because you you need people that understand Bitcoin and the vision of of what we're going 
for here as an industry yeah. and what you as a, a company going for specifically to, cause there's a lot to build. It's, uh, yeah. it's not straightforward to explain to everybody. Um, especially when you're dealing with a nation technology like Bitcoin, uh, right. having to understand that and then exactly explaining the products built on top of it. You need people that sort of have a base layer of knowledge. You can just like, all right, I understand this run with it. Have you, have you ever pitched anybody before? Like a non-crypto person? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Believe me. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's, we're pitching oil and gas producers, which are a bunch of old dogs trying to, trying to learn a new trick. And right. It's, uh... So you usually get an hour, right? So this is, if, if anybody out there is like getting ready to raise funding and you know, want to talk about like kind of our experience in more detail, usually you get about an hour, maybe 45 minutes. You sit down, you have five minutes of intro. So you've now got 40 minutes to explain Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, and then what your product is going to do and how it's different than what exists in like 40 minutes. So it's, it's a very difficult proposition. And that was something we certainly struggled with early on. And I, I mean, I would say I'll probably still struggle with that. You know, if I went into, um, you know, some top tier Silicon Valley VC and tried to pitch them the idea of a hash rate liquidation engine, think of all of the pieces that you have to explain to that. You have to explain hash rate. Like what is hash rate? How do you produce it? You have to explain a liquidation engine. You have to explain all of these concepts. And uh, it becomes a very um, difficult task. And so by, by aligning with strategics, we were able to you know, skip most of that, right? They know what hash rate is, easy. Like, let's talk about like some of the more interesting parts of what it is we're actually doing. And let us talk about the interesting parts of what it is that you guys are doing, because that's like the big, yeah. the big nut that people are thinking about in terms of hash rate derivatives and hash rate markets is how yeah. are these markets going to develop? Who's, who's going to be a market maker on, yeah. on the sell side um, or the buy side, excuse me. And right. how does this all come to market in a way that benefits uh, speculators and miners looking to either bolster balance sheets or expand operations? Yeah, let's, uh, yeah, we can jump into that. So, um, so let's, let's actually just take a look at something that exists today. I know, you know, DeFi, DeFi may be a little bit of a taboo subject here, but uh, it does exist. And so maybe we should take a look at some of the things that are happening over there. Um, so Poolin, they've released their, uh, their PBTC 35A token. That's on uh, FTX, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's traded a bunch of places. I think mostly, I think most of the volume is on Uniswap and Okay. some of the Ethereum, whatever exchanges, but um, I don't care about any of that. Let's talk about what it actually is. It's a token that represents uh, one terahash of mining power per day. Um, and then they normalize it. So they take this idea of, uh, of, of hash rate and put it into a bucket, right? So they, they bake in some of the, you know, whenever, everybody on the call that's ever done like a mining calculator knows you put in the, the, the power price, you put in your pool fee, and then you put in like, your terahash per second, and then you can spit out like your profitability per day. I'm sure you have one of these. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, they take this idea, or they take this, and basically, if you own one of these tokens, you're entitled to the output of a miner with that classification. So uh, for for the BTC 35A uh, token, they they bake in an, an electricity fee of 5.83 cents, uh, a 2.5 percent pool fee. And a 35 watt per terahash um, uh, power ratio, mm -hmm. right? And so, 
right now, those are selling. If you went and bought one of these tokens, it's about $120, $118. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty large markup on the value of hash rate. Um, because like right now, we think that, you know, you could go buy an S19 for what's an S19? It's like $8,000. Yeah, around there. Like $8,000. So if you bought an S19 at $8,000, you're now paying, you know, $72 per uh, per terahash uh, for the same quality of miner. And so there's this like big markup, like 62% on that that value or on the token. And so what, what goes into that markup? Um, there's a lot of things uh, like liquidity, right? So you can actually, if, if you're able to, uh, if you're able to go actually sell your hash rate and, for these token and issue these tokens, um, you're now able to actually bring liquidity to yourself, right? Um, there's a fifty dollars spread there, right? Right. And so, so miner would be like, all right, they're buying hash rate for one hundred twenty dollars, and this hash rate is going to produce seventy two for me, so. Let me right. offload some, exactly. some risk, some execution risk and just sell it right. up front. So right now, like Poolin only allows their, like, I think it's probably their internal mine or something. They, and they've only issued 200,000 of these tokens. So that represents 200 pet hash um, of these tokens that exist in the world. Um, but you could think of, you know, if they could figure out a way to, you know, decentralize that more where they're not the ones actually issuing the tokens, it's possible for, so say, GAM or, or anybody to go and sell a portion of their hash rate and get these tokens in return, then they could go and turn around and sell those on the open market and take in, you know, they could lock in, like you said, a profit, um, you know, on some future value. So does this token exist to solve the spot selling of hash? Like, right, like so people this, talk about forward contracts yeah. where you where you you sell hash up front and deliver it in yeah. the future. Um, well, I think this token exists, in my opinion, this token exists right now because it's very profitable for Poolin to do so. Um, you know, it, you know that electric, an electricity rate of 5.8 cents is pretty high. I'm sure they're not paying that much. Um, and their pool fee of 2.5% is, I'm sure you know, is much higher than most large miners are going to pay. Um, so they're able to, most likely, they're probably able to make between 8 and 10% on this on this token on the spread and the spread so of their actual cost versus right all that stuff okay um so there's that but on on the other side it also gives like speculators another asset to interact with that is actually backed by some tangible value that's always been the problem with DeFi, right is like it's just like in, in DeFi, it's just like tokens that issue other tokens to get other tokens all the way down until like what do you actually get you know, just some, to like, it doesn't matter. Like none of those things really, a lot of times don't really matter. Like where do the yields come from? You never get a straight answer on that. The yields for these tokens come directly from miners that are plugged in somewhere and are producing Bitcoin. So how does it work on the miner side? They buy these tokens, giving up hash, obviously. And so yeah. are they already connected to pool and pool and just redirects hash yeah. until the, the uh, amount of the, the, the token purchase is, is met. So the, the, the hash rate is actually all like internal to, to pool in. So we not really sure who, you know, like wh what those miners are, but they're just selling it as like a standardized bag mm -hmm. um, from the buyer of these tokens. 
uh, side from their point of view, when, when you purchase one of these tokens every day, um, you receive some amount of coin that represents what that terahash would have, would have uh, generated for the day. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. In Bitcoin. Yeah. So you receive that in or wrapped Bitcoin, but um, Bitcoin nonetheless. And yeah. so in that case, um, like what you're actually producing, like what you're actually purchasing is some yield generating as a uh, you know, vehicle. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the delivery um, of hash though. Like how does that change? Right. So uncertain how that would be possible. Right. Cause like there's always the, um, you know, there, there's always the execution, the execution risk. Like if you ever made this like a decentralized thing, if, if at any point it became more profitable for the miners to just mine themselves, they would just turn them off and then the tokens would no longer be fulfilled. Right. So there's no way to like, force a miner to keep doing what they said they're going to do right yeah that's kind of the idea of mining um so if you if you're if they did this in a decentralized way there's no way for them like uh, right now there's really no mechanism to make that work so that you it kind of has to be centralized right now and that's probably why they are not probably that's exactly why they did it uh the way that they did is because there's really no way to force a miner to continue to produce hash rate if it's not in their best interest to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, in this way, Poolin has in some way put their reputation on the line uh, to you know continue producing that hash rate up to a point. Uh, I imagine if the the value of the tokens ever went negative, they would just turn off the distributions and say like the tokens are you know at that point the tokens were probably worth zero anyway. Um, and so then, <clears throat> like at that you know at that point they uh, they wouldn't really have any risk on their side they would just you know turn off the distributions yeah but um i don't know how you would do this in a decentralized way yeah right because what because uh, like with the yeah the delivery of the hash rate is like where i get hung up right this stuff like it, with these derivatives like not even just this particular right Pooling products, like if you were to sell, like even a, like a hash rate forward contract, yeah. Um, what, yeah? Can you guarantee execution risk on the or execution on the backside? Yeah, you wouldn't be able to. You'd have to collateralize the contract in some yeah. way, and you know a lot of people are thinking about this. So one way that you could do it is you could force the miner to put up like some portion of the value of the contract that they would pay down, which would be like perpetually swapped over time. Um, you would need a central central intermediary, or in theory, you could do it, you know, via a DeFi protocol. Um, but that all of that, you know, is yet to be determined. Um, but just imagine, you know, you and I, like, you you wanted to sell me a petahash a hash rate for thirty days. Um, you would say, you know, what whatever that, you know, whatever the value of that contract would be, you would put up seventy percent of it. And if at some point you weren't able to deliver, then the intermediate, you know, the intermediary would start drawing from your collateral. Mm-hmm. But in that case, it also becomes like less uh, less interesting to you because what you wouldn't really want to put up collateral for this. Because yeah, you you want cash flow. To yeah, you really want right. the cash. Yeah. Um, but if you could start collateralizing them with some, you know, with like an LTV, you know, instead of you know instead of having to collateralize the full amount, you could collateralize say seventy percent or something like that. Then, um, then it becomes much more attractive because now you can lever up just at a fraction, you know, yeah. you would be able to lever up at some, at some fraction as opposed to, you know, many multiples. Um, but back to these particular, you know, these tokens themselves, I think 
you know, they, they give retail a really interesting way to interact with mining. It's like right now, if, if I were, you know, say I'm a retail investor and I want to buy uh, a couple of rigs, you know, 10 rigs, um, 10 rigs more than I could run at my house, like at a standard, you know, a standard home. Um, and so what do I do? I have to go look for a co-location. But now co-locations, almost every co-location, at least in North America, isn't going to take a customer that has less than 250 kilowatts. Um, so retail is now effectively priced out of buying hash rate in any capacity. Yeah. yeah. And um, what would that be like? 250 kilowatts would probably equate to like 50 miners, 40 to 60, depending to on buy. the model. 33,000. Yeah. It's going to be about, it's going to be about ADS nine S 19s. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, ADS 19s is like $650,000. So yeah. you can't make a, you know, that's like the floor price to get into, you know, a co-location facility. Um, so there's a really big disconnect here between, you know, allowing retail to participate in this, you know, and, and like the broader market. Um, so really what we're seeing, uh, the value, you know, the, that spread we talked about earlier on the, on the token, um, like why does that spread exist? It's really a liquidity premium. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we see that in GBTC as well. There's a liquidity premium on GBTC. Um, they, they call it the NAV, the native asset value, the, you know, the premium to native asset value. And that's why we see in these hash rate tokens, which I think is really the most interesting part of all of this is the, the spread. Um, I don't really... I'm not super interested in like the DeFi aspects or like all of that, or like the yields. There's also another, you get another token called the Mars token, which is um, like supposed to govern the project, but I'm not really interested in governance tokens or anything like that. But what is really interesting is the, is the premium on top of the asset itself. Um, so, I, and I think that that premium right now is actually, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it may go up. Like, I think it may go up because more and more people may be interested in getting some, some asset that yields the value of mining without having to actually get into mining. Yeah. Right. It's so, like, what does that premium represent exposure to mining? Yeah. Like, so assumption is that people want exposure to mining directly. And then right. that leads to the question, all right, why get exposure to mining directly um, via this type of product versus just buying Bitcoin directly, right? Like what, what are the trade-offs and yeah. decisions that go into that process? So with your bit, you know, with your Bitcoin, it's unless you're, unless you're willing to lend it to someone, there's really no other way to generate any yield, right? You can't really make any more Bitcoin with your Bitcoin, unless you're willing to take on some risk and, you know, give it to BlockFi, give it to someone, you know, the, BlockFi is a great company. All these companies are they're great companies, but there is some risk there that is non-zero, right? Holding your holding your Bitcoin in your in your own wallet has some non-zero risk, but that risk is much less than giving it to someone to lend out. Um, so in this way, you may be able to generate some yield by taking your Bitcoin and investing it in uh, one of these tokens. That's one potential. You know, that's that offers some premium. Um, I, I also think. Uh, I don't know these numbers. You would probably know them better. I don't know what the cost is to plug in an S19. Like, so I go get my $8,000 S19. Like how much infrastructure is built into the net, you know, the, how much CapEx is built into purchasing an, an S19 to actually get it up and running. That's uh, that's another part of the premium. Yeah. Yeah. We work with micro BT, but like, yeah, it depends. Right. Pretty significant, especially if you're using the top of the line hardware, like an S19, like it's right. 
and it, depending on your cost of power production, mm-hmm. like if it's higher, you're going to have to use an S19 um, to right. try to be at to least really a little bit even. profitable. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that, that initial cost of capital goes up pretty significantly. Yeah, certainly. So that's another place, you know, where some of this premium comes in. Um, and then another mental, like another mental exercise that you can do with this token is start to move around some of the parameters. So like an S9, we know can be profitable in some cases, right? Like I, I know people are running them today. Um, so you take one of those S9s and you plug it into this equation uh, and you would see that an S9 is worth like 1700 bucks, right? <laughs> but we know it's not, right? Yeah. We know it's not, but if we start moving around some of the parameters on the, uh, you know, on the, the token itself, we can start to get like interesting valuations. You know, I haven't, I haven't run the math for like what an S9 should actually be valued at based on its uh, power ratio uh, per the token, like the token spread. But um, it's another interesting piece and it starts to just introduce more variables for us to look at and monitor for building like really robust and, and solid models for businesses around Bitcoin mining. And that's really like the core of this, you know, this podcast would be like, these things are interesting and they produce more data for us to look at uh, and, and, and give us another lens to view our own industry through. Yeah. Help price risk, right. And hedge risk at the end of the day and opportunity cost and all that data necessary to make smart business decisions especially for right. an industry it's got a significantly high execution risk like like the mining industry and i mean right. it's like something again like i said earlier and the nut that people have been waiting to get cracked is how do you help these mining businesses de-risk their operations via these these right. types of products so and then the so- other side of that equation is who wants to take on that risk on the institutional or retail side and what are their drivers? And so it's, it's just infinitely fascinating to see the, the formation of this market structure begin to materialize. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. So uh, off, the top of your, off the top of your head, so, the, so we, we have a couple of points for valuation. We can value a terahash per second based on um, you know, the value of an S9. Uh, sorry, an S19 or an S9 or whatever. Uh, we can value it based on this new token that exists with some normalized parameters. Off the top of your head, could you guess what the valuation of a dollar per terahash on the open, uh, on the tradable markets is today? I'd have to get a hash rate index. To... <laughs> you could, you could go to hash rate index, um, but could you hazard even a guess? Jeez, um, I don't know. On the free market? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. What was it's, uh, it's about it's about eighteen hundred dollars per terahash right now. <laughs> so, if, so for every terahash that you add to your mining operation uh, on a publicly traded market, um, you're going to get about eighteen hundred dollars in valuation out of that. Now that's pretty attractive, but that offers a really that offers a really large spread between like the value of an S19, the value of this token, and the public markets. Um, where I'm drawing that that $1,800 number is, um, you know, if, if you have one X hash or hash rate, you're getting valued at about $1.8 billion. <laughs> I mean, we're getting a lot of data the recent months out of the public publicly traded mining companies as well. Right, what exactly. The, uh, what the, the market, yeah, like 
I've heard something like ten million dollars in investment or or raised from these companies equates like a hundred million dollars in value. So that sounds right. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 incredible. So um, yeah, it was you know another part of you know, I came prepared with like a lot more like fundraising talk and talking about like I you know IPOs and um, you know public markets and historical fundraises and SPACs and all that stuff. But we can maybe do that another time because I feel like this has been a pretty content heavy pod already. Um, but I think that does tie into, um, you know, this, this idea that hash rate is an asset class. It has some value at a point in time, and it depends on which lens you're looking through what the value of that hash rate actually is. Um, you know, you could be, you know, if you're pricing a company, it's the value of the company plus like future cash flows, plus other markets, you know, other, um, you know, ways that they generate revenue. Uh, if you're looking at it just through like the lens of this token, um, you know, it bakes in a few parameters, but really none, none other than just the, you know, the ones that you put into like a mining calculator. And then you've got like just a machine with no, no, no strings attached. There's different layers to all of this. And it's, it's very complex. Yeah. Let's see other, like, again, like, and it's, I imagine the arbitrage opportunities early on in this market formation are going to be considerable. Right. And it's, uh, you're going to see, right. probably see a lot of volatility as, as the markets attempt to to accurately price these types of derivatives. Right. So I, I imagine you and, and I would say probably any other miner in the world right now would go and sell uh, their hash rate if they could to a token like this, because you're generating a, a very large upfront value, right? You get to go sell every terahash hash you have for $120. Uh, and then you also get to make the spread on whatever's like left over. And then all you have to give up is anything over that spread which right now is like still very profitable. Um, yeah. So I imagine yeah. you would. Tear like a 60, 60% <laughs> spread. I mean, that's sometimes you'd be stupid not to. Right. The question is like, then you get into like liquidity, like how liquid is that market? Exactly. How, how can you guarantee that that's going to be a, a wise decision multiple times mm -hmm. going to the trough, you know? Right. So yeah, that, that is, you know, that's, uh, that's the question right now. The liquidity is, you know, all the liquidity that exists, we, you can actually think of it as sell side liquidity as the hash rate produced you know, right now, all the sell side liquidity that exists is 200 petahash, right? Cause that's what, uh, that's what Poolin has like made available for this token. Um, but at, you know, and Binance has one too, but I decided not to even touch on that because it's just a whole nother like topic to discuss on. And it brings in another chain, Binance chain, all that stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, Binance stuff is is uh, yeah. it's, it's a lot of layers, a lot of layers. To it. Right, um, but they're you know the, these things are kind of coming around, and it's it's really interesting. So anyway, back to the sell side liquidity. There's you know there's 200 petahash of sell side liquidity, and that seems to be bought up pretty easily by by you know by the miners today because the the price has gone up, I believe. Uh, let's see, 30 25 percent over the last um, 30 days for this this token that I keep talking about. Um, so it seems like it's getting bought up. Now maybe they issue, maybe they could issue more. Um, you know, what is what does that look like, right? Like I don't know. Say you say you have a hundred petahash. How does that impact the price? So you have a thousand petahash. Or sorry, yeah. Say you have a thousand petahash. How does that impact the price? Um, you know, if we start issuing more and more of these tokens, and instead of actually taking that hash rate and well, you would still be mining it. You would just be selling off the extra. Um, but then what happens when the price starts to dip a little bit, you start to, you know, all these contracts start to default and a big unwind occurs. Well, 
like could that happen right now like is like just looking at hash rate that's i would love to get your thoughts on this someone who's operating a mining pool like we're looking at a tower difficulty adjustment projected for uh friday of this week which yeah is perplexing people will point to the supply chain issues but i think i have a theory and i've been saying this publicly it's all conjecture but i I, do you think there's like just like a bunch of companies that bought tens of thousands of miners and don't know how to plug them in and is that uh supply lack of supply of hash rate shock to the market how does that affect these these tokens like are are the retails yeah buying these tokens expecting uh, the the amount of hash rate on the Bitcoin network to be significantly higher, and the lack of execution on the industry side is just not going to produce that. And like, yeah, that, this this is it. This goes back to this. This is like GameStop, but in crypto. If if difficulty goes down, it's because like you just like you said, miners are getting shipped, right? People are getting miners in, like they're showing up, but are they getting plugged in fast enough? Maybe not. Um, if if I'm a retail mine, if I'm a retail like investor and I go out and buy $10,000 of these tokens or 50,000, you know, some, some amount that is meaningful to me, but in the grand scheme of like mining as a whole, very small, I go out and buy $10,000 worth of these tokens and then difficulty goes down. I've now like effectively dumped on, (laughs) on institutions because I'm able to now take and generate way more yield from these tokens that I went and bought than I would have otherwise. And, you know, it's, it's a really cool, it's really cool to see that happen. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm most, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think most of the reason that the difficulty would be going down is, is most likely execution. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, it's like, you know, the price hovering around 50 K it's up like yeah, multiples over the last six months and hash rates only up 15% since September or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to sh- shill hash rate index too much here, but you know, we've watched this very closely and your, the value of your hash rate is has gone up. I, it's actually above where it was before the halving. Yeah, that's great. I mean, as a company that's currently executing and plugging in miners, it's a windfall for us, right? Yeah. We have all these models that we're projecting out. And we expect hash rate to go up, but it seems that others aren't able to execute. And like, so our models were producing more Bitcoin than, than we thought we would have been right. at this point. <clears throat> So looking at, um, you know, like looking at the having, you know, right before the having, you were making about 15 cents a day per terahash. Now it's almost, almost 40. So you, yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. Right. Um, this, yeah, the, the, the supply chain issues, that's definitely playing into this. I don't want to downplay that. And, and I, but I do think that um, the execution is, is really tough. I don't know, um, you know, how many people on your pod have, really actually been in a in a facility but we built a small one and fit i mean we failed miserably it's hard it's really hard to do um we built like two and a half um you know, two and a half megawatts in a farm in kansas city in the summer in july in kansas city terrible idea um but anyway we did it and what we learned is like this is actually quite this is actually a, a problem much more of a problem than just t- plugging in machines right there's a lot of problems that you have to solve in mining yeah, I, I mean, we had Ethan on. He was describing um, that that situation. He was like, "Oh, you yeah. have to deal with the heat, and, and where that yeah. goes, and how you flow the heat. Uh, you have to deal with the PSUs. Oh, you may have to re- replace these, and uh, hashboards yeah. you might have to replace, and fans, and 
you know, oh, you actually get a miner and you need a very specific type of electrical setup to make sure that it runs and doesn't doesn't yep. uh, circuit out. It's like, oh. So I, I think that's what happened. You have a bunch of these people FOMOing in the Bitcoin thinking mining is the best way to get exposure and thinking it's as simple as plugging it into a wall and it's just not the case. Yeah. So anybody that's been mining for you know two or three years or, or more, you know, like you guys have or others, it's this is this is the gold rush, right? You're you're killing it. You know exactly what to do. You know how to plug these machines in quickly. And so you're just gonna outcompete. You know, new new miners are gonna come in, they're gonna they're eventually gonna get dumped on. And they're gonna you're gonna be able to go in and swoop in and purchase those S19s for thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. Um, and just really, you know continue to accumulate. And so this just shows, you know, this just shows that by, by being in the industry for a while and, and building through the tar times and the good, um, you just start to snowball and, and you just become unstoppable. Yeah. It's, uh, no, like we said, like last year, barreling through that bear market and just putting our heads down and working and executing on the iterations of our containers specifically and just spreading the message as much as possible starting to pay off dividends and yeah that's yeah uh, like we we actually couldn't ask for anything more than um uh, incompetent upstart to come in and take a bunch of hash rate and just hold it off the market for for a significant amount of time and that's i believe that's exactly what's happening you know i know few places that have thousands of s19s that are in boxes trying to get them out and it's it's hard i mean i'm not i'm not trying to you know take digs at people but it's it's and it, it's hard to do it's a lot of work like yeah. we 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 timed it like taking it at, at that time we were mostly mining with s9s um we would time it taking an s9 out of a box you know from the from the crate um on the on the dock to getting it into a into a facility you know into the facility and plugged in and actually configured to the customer and everything took us about 20 minutes. Now just imagine how long that would take if you had, you know, that was for a, a thousand miners. Imagine you had 20,000 miners showing up. That's a lot of, that's a lot of time that's spent uh, doing it. And we had a very small operation. I couldn't imagine how long it would take you to do at a place that has, you know, several hundred megawatts or something like that up in a single facility. Yeah. Or even if like you don't have the PPA in place, you bought the right. miners and think you're going to get the, the energy deal on the back end. Yeah. It's not trivial either. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah, hard lessons. I mean, we we got I mean, we got wrecked. Great American Mining, and when we first got in, like in, yeah. in the height of 2017, bought a bunch of dragon mitts. Find out, found out they were pretty terrible. Oh, uh, those dragon mitts were bad. Yeah, the uh, yeah, trying to found out locking up a PPA is not as straightforward as as uh, as one would think, and hard lessons learned and it'll be interesting to see who's willing to to stick it out for for three four years um especially considering it's a bit the, of a here's a bit of a hot take i think ppas are overvalued oh yeah well that's why we're off-grid we we right. i mean our long-term thesis is that off-grid is going to be the way to go we don't want to it's any, the only way yeah yeah we've uh i mean just having going through the process of trying to set up these ppas it's yeah. there's too much there's too much risk right i mean like yeah, they can they can be, you can lock in a PPA, but it can be switched pretty trivially on a dime, um, depending on the man from the grid. Delivering electricity very similar to delivering hash rate. So if you have a PPA, you're effectively building a forward contract on 
electricity. And the same, all of the same risks that apply to delivering hash rate apply to, to electricity. What if it's no longer profitable for them to send you electricity? Same way it's no longer profitable for you to send hash rate to your hash rate contract. They're just going to figure out a way to terminate it, right? They're just the bot. That's just the bottom line. I mean, we, we've seen this, even if it's not profitable, it's just like becomes politically untenable in Quebec. They kicked all the miners off of, or yeah, essentially kicked them off by raising the prices to such a point that it was unprofitable. We've seen it in Washington state, I believe in New York state as well. Like, um, just yeah. too much, too much operational risk involved when you're depending on a third party. I'm a Washington based. I'm here in, here in Seattle and yeah, Eastern, you know, Eastern Washington used to be the Mecca, right? Um, gigawatt out there putting up, you know, hundred megawatt facilities. And, um, you know, really that was the first time that, uh, that like institutional mining really was a thing, you know, that was back in, you know, what it would have been maybe 2015. They were kind of, you know, kicking this idea around back when, you know, do you remember KNC miner or, mm-hmm. uh, or, uh, Gall miner. Was... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess that was even around the time, you know, the bit theory was really getting started. Uh, so I think, um, I think you're right. These PPAs are definitely something that's, that is a risk to, to any, you know, to anybody that's coming into the, into the space. You got, I think, I think you have to have that as part of your roadmap self-generation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, cause at the end of the day, I mean, they, they're going to serve the grid over the minor. It's just, right. just going to happen. Um, yeah. And that's actually like minors shouldn't be, I mean, not yeah. they should or shouldn't do anything. It's just, it's not going to be a good luck of like, oh, we don't have electricity be, or electricity is so expensive mm-hmm. because miners are consuming all of it. <clears throat> I think, uh, I think you're, you're hit the nail on the head. It really speaks to like this, you know, Bitcoin, it, it forces sovereignty, whether you like it or not. Um, and if you're not able to be sovereign, uh, and, and, you know, really guide your own destiny. Um, it really, you have to think about those parts as like operational risks. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, now again, I, I mean, and then it's more expensive too, when you're doing it on the grid, it's harder work off grid, but if you can execute, yeah. it's worth it significantly, uh, able to reduce your power production costs, uh, in, in relation to the rest of the mining industry. So, uh, so I mean, that, that's really all the material I have for the, uh, the, ha- the hash rate token itself. Um, you, know, we, you know, if you want, we can dig into a lot of fundraising talk, a lot of, you know, financial markets, IPOs, all that stuff. Uh, I think this is going to be a crazy year for mining, mining stocks. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. Like, I mean, sure. I, I mean, <laughs> I, th- I think I agree, uh, just yeah. based on what we're seeing. And so like we at Great American Mining, we want to, we want to stay private, hopefully forever, but at least as long as possible, okay. because once you go public and you have shareholders involved, you can't do the things you want to do with the Bitcoin that you mine. Right. You, you sort of have to have it sit on the balance sheet and think of the shareholder. Um, so it's interesting to see all these publicly traded mining companies and the moves they're making, but their valuations are going insane. And so I'm just like, ah, oh, you're making so much, yep. so many cuck bucks. Like you can just take that and buy a bunch of Bitcoin with it as well. So what, what are you seeing? Exactly that. So the same, you have some of the same risks as having a PPA going IPO. Um, 
all of those, you know, some of those execution risks. Um, let's let's look at let's look at some of the fundraises that have happened in the past. Let's look at let's go back to um, let's go back to 2014. Hashplex raised 400k. Some of it came from Barry Silbert, which is now DCG, and they have Foundry. Uh, basically, the idea was a co-location. That was it. Plug in your mine. You send us your miners. We plug them in. Take a take a cut. Um, obviously, they're not around anymore. Um, but that was in 2014. 2015, we saw Spondulis raise 5 million. They're an altcoin mining manufacturer. Um, Pier Nova, which used to be cloud hashing and high Bitcoin, they raised 8.6 million in 2014. Bitfury raised 20 million in 2015. KNC Miner raised 15 million in 2015. Pier Nova raised again in 2019, 31 million. Um, CoinMine has raised 2 million. HashRabbit raised 2.5 million. And then those are like your historical fundraisers. And now we start looking at some of the, like this is, this was maybe one of the early indications that mining was really going to start to become what it is now. We saw layer one raised 50 million, right? Or purported, right? Let's, not uncertain exactly what all happened there, um, but they were really buying into this idea that mining is going to become a, a very big part of not just, uh, not just the, the Bitcoin ecosystem, but the global ecosystem of, of, of finance, you know, in, in, of financial derivatives in, in, in this entire market. Um, and then we saw Crusoe raise 70 million in 2019. There is 30 million in equity, 40 million in debt. Um, and now we're starting to see just like some mega financings, right? So, you know, DCG's committed to investing a hundred million into mining. You know, it's, it's their own money. They didn't fundraise it, but they, you know, they're investing a hundred million into mining. Um, you know, Compute North just raised 25 million last month. Um, we saw last summer, Core Scientific and Horizon Kinetics, and you know, in an undisclosed amount, uh, make a big investment in S19s. You know, those S19s are were at the time probably 2,000 each. I think they said they raised, they, they bought 17,000 of them. Um, those were probably about 2,000 each. They're probably what 8,000 now. That was a huge yeah. ROI. Right. Um, so we're you know, we've seen a lot of these financings in the past, you know, in the past, but they have just gotten so big as with everything in Bitcoin right now. Um, I'll pause. I know that was a lot of info, but. I mean, it's, it's crazy. The numbers that are coming out, like in terms right. of valuation, and amount of miners yeah. scooped up tens of thousands at a time. I mean, Bit, tens of th- yep. Bit Farms just announced today, what, 42,000 mm-hmm. micro BTs? Yep. Yeah. And then, and then, so those were all private placements, right? Those were like your, you know, equity financings, your equity debt financing, you know, traditional, uh, you know, kind of traditional venture capital investments. Um, then we start looking at the public markets. And we've already seen, like, look, look at the valuations of these public companies, Marathon Group, Riot, Bitfarms, Argo, um, just these stocks, the value of these stocks is, is insane. They're, they're all just like a hockey stick. Um, and so this seems like it was being you know, this is starting to get built into the market prior to this run-up in Bitcoin. And so maybe this is a indicator, like this is a leading indicator for some of the hits, you know, some of the stuff that we see in Bitcoin is these, um, you know, the bottom, you know, the, you know people, people talk about like TA, the bottoms of charts kind of, you know, reaching a bottom. Um, maybe when you reach the bottom in a, uh, in a mining stock, that, that kind of starts to predicate that there's a run, there's a run coming here. Like a leading indicator? 
yeah, like a leading indicator on, on price. Like if, yeah. you know, let's just say riot blockchain, their stock price bottoms out, you know, July of last year. Um, and then just really starts to ramp up around, you know, right around November. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're outperforming Bitcoin too, which is absolutely, I mean, it's crazy, right? I think by orders, <laughs> by orders. Mm-hmm. It's uh, so they've got uh, just looking at like where they were at last summer, they were at uh, about three dollars um, per share last summer. Uh, guess as to what they are now, yeah, hovering around 40, right? Or 90. 90? Oh my gosh, yeah. So, uh, it's, it's 60x, yeah, yeah. It'd be a nice little investment, uh, to make, um, for 30x, excuse me. Yeah, do my math. So these uh, these valuations are, are are pretty exciting. You know, anybody that's looking to get you know, and oh, uh, a couple other things, you're going to see at least three IPOs this year of of uh, of mining companies. Not you know, outside of the you know the big ones we know like Coinbase and stuff. You're going to have like three mining specific IPOs. Probably one as soon as this quarter. Um, so look out for those. And then I, I would guess. Uh, uh, there's going to be at least five SPACs of uh, of mining codes this year. Yeah, this is all well and good, like the the pump, yeah, and the the valuations. But like, is it is it exuberance, or is it just a, a retail market looking for exposure and has a, a lack yeah. of avenues through which to get that exposure and it's piling into mining stocks. So we, we broke away from my, uh, my outline a little bit for how I, I prepped some of the material for this, which was, you know, thinking through like the valuations and IPOs and, um, you know, all of the investments and how that tied into the token itself. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I mentioned, there's like this huge spread between what people are paying on open, like on the open market versus what they're willing to pay for like the token itself. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the token being a novelty at this point, but the idea is that there is this huge arbitrage opportunity between the, the open markets, the on-chain DeFi markets, and the actual hash rate itself. Um, and it's just, it's just getting started. Yeah. Yeah. It's, whew, it's massive, so, man. Like there, again, like $10 million of investment and a capital raise in the public markets is adding like a hundred million in valuation right. to these firms. And so like, they're all, that's the other thing, like, like, not gonna name specific names, but like, again, like the lack of execution, um, following up announcements yeah. of large purchases. Like, do they even care about execution? Like, is it like part of the the fiat scam in the stock market specifically yeah. that they're just playing that? Uh, sir, I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say they're playing a scam, but I think they're taking advantage of yes, exactly. macro conditions that are absolutely in their favor. Yes, if you have yes. access to public markets right now, you would be like, you would, it, it's- It'd be a disservice to your shareholders to a certain extent. Right. Not right. to take advantage of it, absolutely. Like yeah. You would not be executing on your fiduciary duty to maximize the value of your company if you weren't taking advantage of the massive, like this huge fire hose of money that's just being pointed directly into public markets yeah. uh, and taking advantage of that. No, it's uh no, I, I get it. The, the, the hate the player or excuse me, hate the game. Don't hate the player. That's uh, people taking advantage of this arbitrage opportunity. Isn't, mm-hmm. isn't 
the scam and, and the self that it, and the the fact that it exists due to the, the misallocation mm-hmm. of capital from the, the central banks and, and the fiscal side of things is driving yep. irrational exuberance in public markets. Um, yes, yeah. that's, that's the I wouldn't even say scam. It's just a it's just a mispricing mechanism. Exactly. Exactly. It's uh, it's it's absolutely a macro driven mispricing of not just like so our assets, the assets that we deal in, which is, you know, my you know, mining, uh, mining stocks, equities, uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, all of you know, the you know, rig prices, all of those assets that we're familiar with, the, the, the dollar is just devalued against them all. And then that has predicated what is now like this astronomical rise that we've seen, not just in Bitcoin, but even more so in mining stocks and, you know, the, the public markets uh, that, ex- that exist for, um, you know, for mining companies. Um, getting, <clears throat> get, and so yeah, getting access to those markets is, is definitely, you know, is important. But what, what is the mispricing now, right? Are, are these assets being mispriced or are they just finding, are they in, you know, purely in price discovery or are they being mispriced? Are they being over exuberant? Like is, is there over exuberance or is the value of these assets actually, you know, correct? And what was, what was wrong before was the value, um, you know, the dollar. Right. Mm. I mean, yeah, you could certainly make the argument of doing a discounted cash flow and future earnings, um, especially if you think the Bitcoin price is going to go up and right. uh, some of these companies can execute and plugging in their machines and could pull forward that future valuation to sort of make sense, um, mm-hmm. just pricing it in quicker um, in, in the present I think, day. I think that's what you, I think that's what you have to do. Um, I think that's what you have to do. So it's been uh, it's been a crazy year. I, I love to see. I love volatility. I love volatility. It makes uh, makes things exciting, makes things interesting. Um, and I think that I think we're just getting started. Um, I've said before, like on other podcasts and things like that, that I think uh, six figure Bitcoin will happen. I, I actually thought it would have happened already, um, but I think it's going to happen this year, twenty twenty one. And I think I've been. I've been saying that for uh, a, like over a year now, like just thinking that this is, this is the year um, the cycles always line up kind of this way. Um, and if you, you know, if you look at kind of the trends over the last uh, decade, it seems like this would be the year we hit about hit somewhere in, in the six figure range. Um, some people have their targets maybe a little high, but I think if we landed somewhere in the mid twos, like that would probably be a pretty solid, that'd be a pretty solid run here. Yeah. No, I think, I think, I mean, nothing's a foregone conclusion, but just the amount of capital that's flowing into the space is insane. And yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you have mayors saying they want to pay their employees in, in Bitcoin. You have <laughs> a senator on the Senate Banking Committee is a Bitcoin advocate. You have yep. like Michael Saylor speculative attacking the dollar, Tesla, 1.5 billion, Twitter just, offering a convertible yep. note for 1.5 billion we'll see how Apple. much of that they they are able to raise and what they do with that money a lot of people speculating about what they're going to do with it but um nothing has been made certain yet i guess we'll find out next quarter yeah apple two and a half billion yeah are they doing an offering as well i think they uh, i think they said that yesterday did um not, did not catch that one <laughs> there's Dang. uh or maybe that maybe that was somebody trolling me uh, maybe i look like an idiot now 
Um, I was, I've been, I've been extremely busy. I thought I could have easily yeah. missed it. There's also, um, you know, Twitter's getting involved with, uh, you know, Square is making some investments in like clean mining actually. Um, yeah. So they're actually looking at, you know, making an investment in some sort of clean, um, you know, clean mining tech. So that's pretty cool. Um, I just think there's, yeah, like you said, there's just so much capital coming into this market and there's just so much capital in general now with, you know, with how much was printed in, in 2020 and what can, looks like it's continue going to continue in 2021. It's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Well, so. I guess we can end it on this conversation. Yeah. If you have time, like the investing in mining operations historically throughout the, the first 12 years of, of Bitcoin's existence has been, um, been a bit taboo like why would you invest in mining we can just buy bitcoin straight yeah. up but i'm under the pressure personally and i think this is uh, more pe- more people are becoming are coming around to this thesis which is like exposure to mining is going to be imperative especially if like you're in the exchange business or or a, a business that is facilitating the the purchase and sale of bitcoin on, on behalf of retail investors like uh, the amount of money coming into the space and pulling the free float off of the market is such that like, are they going to be able to tap into these OTC desks is uh, easily and, and um, often as they have up to this point, like are these exchanges and other mm-hmm. similar services going to need equity exposure in a mining operation just to get uh, access to flows of Bitcoin? So you, oh, you're so you're you're saying they would use it as a way to provide liquidity. They would use yeah. it as a liquidity funnel. Yeah. At least like in 2030s, 2040s, I think obviously, if Bitcoin survive, I think it will survive until then. And if it does get to that point, yeah. um, like if you're building financial products on top of Bitcoin, you're gonna have, to have exposure to mining, right? Because that's another theory I've been throwing out there is that or if Bitcoin successful, it shifts the distribution of the and pr- production and distribution of the world's monetary good from the Fed window to the mining layer. Um, and so, the financial stack will be built on top of that. And you're building some of the, the nation products on top of that stack. So many pieces to unca- uh, unpack there, right? Um, so first thing was, it, you know, telling retail that, that mining is a bad investment. Um, it, it can, it certainly can be, but right now you can mine a Bitcoin with an S19 for like 6,000 bucks. Right. Right. That, and price Bitcoin is about 50 K today. Like that's a pretty damn good ROI if you can, you know, if you can swing it. So I, I don't, I, I do reject the idea that retail shouldn't be investing in mining. Um, it, it looks really bad when it's, you know, July, 2019 and, um, you know, you, you can't, you can barely break even on the latest gen hardware, uh, even with like five to six cent power. But now, um, during that time, you have to consider that your building time, right? You have to be investing, building, thinking, uh, putting together a strategy, all of this you have to be doing, not just in the good times, but in the bad times as well. And so I do reject that. Um, now, looking at the other end of the, uh, of what you propose there, I don't know if there's going to be like the question is is there going to be enough liquidity at all ever right like I, I i actually posted on twitter sometime last year 
if you bought a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin per month, every month, would you ever own one Bitcoin starting? I think it was in November. Right now, you're very far away from that being actually the case. Um, and I think you're going to be even further away uh, from that being the case later this year and even early into next year. Um, I, I don't know. So the, the question is, is there ever going to be enough liquidity? And there's a lot of things that you have to unpack for uh, looking into like the 20, you know, into the, into the time frame of like 10 years from now. Uh, there's so many different things that are going to change in mining. Um, so we're going to have twice by then, right? So instead of being 6.25, it'll be 3.125. And then after that, 3.125 divided by two is going to be 1.5625 um, in 2030. That's how much Bitcoin is going to be released every 10 minutes. Right now it's 6.25. You either, either something changes between now and then. I, I don't think they'll fork in more coins. Um, or transaction fees need to drastically increase to either make up that difference or price goes up. Um, we've seen many times that you know transaction fee, the amount of transaction fees in the block as a percentage um, is continuing to go up, but the amount of transaction fee in the block seems to stay like within some bounds. Like it doesn't ever go, it never really goes parabolic. Maybe a little bit during some crazy parts of the bull run, but overall it kind of has some bounds. So what looking at right now over the last 2016 blocks, the average fee versus reward is 13.65% or around one yeah. Bitcoin. And so, so what you have to, and then you also have to remember that that was like as a percentage, it's going to increase because the amount of coin per block is going to go down. The subsidy is going to go down. Right. Yeah. The subsidy is going to go down. But the, uh, but is the amount of transaction fee going to replace that entirely? I would say maybe probably, probably not entirely. So all that, all that can move is the price. If there's not enough liquidity coming in in the block reward or the, or the transaction fee, the only thing that can move if there is still demand side pressure for this is the price. Yeah. Yeah. Bitcoin's so, designed to pump forever. Bitcoin what, is uh, designed to pump forever. That's what, uh, no, in, in terms of like the, the debate around fees and whether or not they'll be sufficient, that's the factor that you just mentioned, which is price going up is, is, mm. um, it's typically left out of that. They, they look at fees statically and present value right. and say, oh, this isn't going to suffice. Well, it's like, yeah, the price is going to go up. Fees will go up. Right. Fees will, pro I, I do see fees going up. I just don't see them going up fast enough to make up the Delta. Um, maybe not, maybe not yet. Maybe not yet. Maybe right. once we get to that, like 20, the, the 2028 having, which would be the down to 1.5, like that would be the point where like you have parity between block reward and transaction fee amount. And then at that point, the value of hash rate is going to like, this could be a whole other pod, but like the value of hash rate is going to be insanely uh, vol volatile at that point in time, because each block is going to have somewhere between 1.516 and like whatever we've seen in the, you know, like what, what's the most transaction fee. I'm just looking at each block right now. I can see like 2.2, like you would have a block that is now uh, 150%, uh, transaction fee, the reward. Mm -hmm. And then the next block could be something, you know, if you clear the mempool, the next block could be zero. Right. And so your the value of your hash rate has now fluctuated an, an incredible amount. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to have to have some way to hedge that risk. You know, in, yeah. in that case, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the traditional um, modes of thought around how to hedge that risk is to take like a transaction fee swap either a transaction fee swap or some like price swap. But the problem is um, those things can be also very volatile. 
And so you're always having to like rebalance your hedge, which is you know, what become, you know, becomes pretty difficult. Um, so we think that like hedging really has to be based on the value of your hash rate, not on any of the other underlying factors that drive that value. Yeah. And I think people sleep so. on the, uh, the ability of mining operations to use weight heat, waste heat to produce supplementary revenue streams. It's, uh, it's another like uh, revenue outside the block reward. Okay. Um, that's made possible by just the, the physics of, of mining, um, especially if you're producing a lot always, of heat. I've always heard is that the delta there is not high enough. Like there isn't enough of a gradient between the heat that is produced by a miner and like what is considered useful heat. Yeah. And maybe that's like, a, again, another a pot for another day, but. Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a whole nother conversation. Now we mold over some ideas at GAM to, to experiment with stuff at scale. Um, we'll see. So we had, you know, like when we, like when I was talking about that Kansas City facility, the ceiling was like 150 degrees because we didn't know what we were doing, but like the ceiling was like 150 to 160 degrees. Melting the panels off. Yeah. Uh, and we, we couldn't, um, we were, I was, you know, in my head, I was like, what could I do with like 160 degree heat? Like there's really not much, right? Like you can maybe warm water up to like a temperature that's somewhat hot. Like you're not gonna really do anything with water that's 160 degrees. You kind of want it to boil, right? Um, so I couldn't figure out anything that you could actually do with like 160 degree air. Yeah, there's, but, um, yeah, it's the the airflow and the dissipation of that heat over a very specific surface area. You right. have to take into consideration and what what is that type of heat suitable for? What type of um, what type of uh, services or generation? Um, products I, I, i'm trying i'm being vague because i don't yeah. want to disclose <laughs> exactly much, yeah. what we're thinking about um yeah yeah the, uh, i'll disclose it to you off air but i'm not giving away too many secrets here all yeah, right um, sounds good nick it's been a pleasure man you're yeah you come prepared that's the uh you, you may be the most prepared guest ever on tftc so i appreciate that okay yeah brought the facts brought the receipts and uh yeah i appreciate it anybody who wants to uh wants to learn more or talk to me i'm i'm not i don't i'm not uh super popular on twitter so you're gonna get a ton of engagement from me uh at nick hansen 600 um also luxor luxor.tech if you're interested in mining um hashrateindex.com if you want to look at some data uh, around mining we can we track all sorts of stuff stocks hash price rate price of rigs um all sorts of things and we also put together some pretty good educational content too like you know, all the stuff that I talked about today is just a distillation of the content that we put together on Hashrate Index. So um, yeah, feel free to give me, hit me up. Happy to talk about all this stuff as I hope I could impart that I just really love talking about all these things and I'm willing to talk about it with anyone. So yeah, I mean, you got a bang up team there. You, Eddie, Ethan, Guzman, Guzman. you guys are yeah. crushing it. Um, yeah, we have, uh, we have 12 now. We have a team of 12 now. Oh yeah. Just hired, just got the 12th on yesterday. A guy named Mon from, uh, from the Philippines. Got a couple people in Argentina, one in two in Dublin, one in LA. Um, Ethan is somewhat of a nomad now. He was in Barbados. Now he's in Mexico. Ethan. Uh, Eddie Guzman's in Dublin, um, uh, Mexico, just all over the place, man. Guatemala. 
globally distributed team for globally distributed network for globally distributed uh, product? We certainly do say that internally. We 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 definitely want to be we want to be remote. Um, gives us a huge advantage. Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, we're remote too at GAM, and it, it, it is uh, yeah. gives us an advantage too. We've got our experts in each field and in the areas that they need to be, and it works out well. Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for uh, thanks a lot for having me on. This has been great. I I love the TFTC podcast. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I'm happy to come on any other time. Talk about whatever you want. Uh, well, I'm sure time. we have much more. I mean, you already alluded to like four more episodes throughout the conversation. So we'll definitely do this yeah. again. Yeah, um, certainly, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, keep crushing it. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love.